And I don't know how it's been working for you as far as reading Gentle and Lowly. Has anybody had a chance to uh, to uh, dig into it a bit? Now, you don't have to raise your hand here. I won't hold you accountable that way. I guess you guys have been reading it too, right? So I hear it from, from Monica. Just started it, yeah. Awesome. And it's been, I think, a great journey into learning a different side about a relationship with God that um, maybe we don't necessarily go after, right? The, uh, you know, gentle and lowly, really understanding the heart that Jesus has for us. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to today. We're going to talk about the emotional the emotional Jesus, and uh, which is from primarily from chapter 11, although chapter 12 is a tender friend, and uh, we just... Uh, I could not fit it all in. So I would highly encourage you to dig in and read chapter 12 because I think it really hits to a a real point that we need uh, an emotional friendship with Jesus as well as with each other. But um, I want just to start off and think about the idea of of just emotion and Jesus and where does that actually fit in. Let's let's read here. um, It says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. Trouble. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept, and then the Jews said, See how he loved him. Now the scene here is Jesus with Mary at the death of Lazarus. So they come, and if you recall the story, it's been delayed out a bit. Jesus uh, took a bit of time getting there. And, um, and yet when Jesus came, what do you see in his response to Mary? What do you see? Just in this short passage. Compassion. So you think about compassion as an emotion of Jesus. Now we, I think we, we expect that almost from Jesus, right? When he was alive. And any of us that have, have, have had to have expressed compassion... Sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's hard, sometimes we just forget. You know, we just, we just, we forget to be compassionate. And yet here's Jesus weeping over the loss of a friend. I don't know if you've ever lost a friend. I've lost a few, and I was just reflecting on this. You know, when I was in college, um, there was, I was in a fraternity, and so you don't get into a fraternity unless people want you to come in. It's sort of like a, you know, when people are trying to come in, you vote on whether they come in or not, right? And, and if you've never experienced that, it's a thing, right? So, uh, and so I remember one, one, we called him brothers, one brother who joined, and he was a bit quirky, but then I'm a bit quirky, so I liked him. And so I really, you know, wanted him to, to be, and so I stood up for him, and, and he was pledged, and he became a member of the fraternity. And so um, I, I did not live at the fraternity uh my last two years, I got married, and so I, you know, being married and being in a fraternity, they don't go together well. Um, Ask you that. She has a couple stories that are, you know, shows how dumb I am. But, um, but anyway, so we did not live in the fraternity, but my, my friend did. You know, his name was Keith. And, uh, and then I went on, you know, went in the Army, and when I was in Germany, I found out that Keith had, using a particular drug, had overdosed and died. You know, and, um, that was one of the first times I remember really being struck emotionally by the loss of someone. You know, not that we were extremely close, but just it, it, it hurt because I saw in him better things. You know, I saw in him, I think, what God perhaps wanted you know, me to see. But you know, just it was an example of, of something that for me 
struck an emotion, struck an emotional chord. You know, I, I had another time this summer, when I, or last summer, last summer, it's not summer yet, I wish it was. <laughs> but uh, last summer I was up in Alaska where my mom is buried. So my mom was, um, I was, what, six or seven when she passed away. And so I didn't get to go to the funeral, uh, probably rightly so. I don't know if I take a six, I don't know about that. But I just really never connected emotionally with what that was. You know, and so it was very emotional for me just to go back and be where she has laid to rest some, you know, whatever that is, close to almost 60 years ago. And to really reflect on it and think about what was her life at that point in time and to feel, you know, compassion for her, compassion for my dad, my family. <clears throat> you know, Jeanette and I were looking at a, a photo even just uh, yesterday, I think, of my family when I was brought home, when I was Eli's age. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it, it, uh, it, you know, we put the fun in dysfunctional. It was, uh, you know, it was uh, just a, you know, sobering to really reflect on what it was like for my mom to be at age 47 to have a baby after having been 13 years without having children. You know, so really. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was rough. You know, whatever you guys were saying about Eli, you know, babies come when they come, and sometimes you go, oh no. <laughs> I'm very grateful, though. But you know, when I think about that, you know, Jesus connects with those kinds of emotions. He connects when we just don't quite get it, when we're sad. And, and I think the book really does a great job of saying that, you know, sometimes we can think of Jesus uh, was like that on earth, but when he went back to heaven, he just became God again and wasn't connected, he was no longer human. And yet I think we'll see in some of the things we look at today, he really was human and continues to be human and continues to connect with your emotional self uh, as a friend, as a human, as a perfect human. But really understanding sort of what you're feeling, where you're hurting. You know, it says that, um, so in Hebrews there's a pair of passages there, or a passage rather, it says, during his earthly life, Christ offered both requests and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his devotion. You know, we know that Jesus prayed about going to the cross. Um, you know, we know that Jesus prayed about his friend Lazarus, that he was concerned about him, that he wept about him. You know, and to me, it's challenging to really get that same intensity that we see in Jesus, you know, for me to, to do that. And I don't know, um, I think I think women maybe are a bit more in touch with their emotions than, than guys are. That's not 100%. You know, so if you're, you're saying, no, no, no I'm, I'm totally in touch with my emotions. You're probably deceived but, as a guy. But, you know, but here's Jesus. He's emotional. He is. He has really took that into heaven. He is the one who really wants to connect with us and have that emotional connection with us. Um, he really wants that. He desires it. And sometimes it's hard to even really think about, you know, what it means. A couple more verses that we have in Hebrews. Maybe Hebrews is the emotional chapter. I don't know. It says, therefore he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect, so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in things relating to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. For we do not have a high priest incapable of sympathizing with our weaknesses, 
but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let that sink in for a minute. He became like you in every respect. So that as he is a high priest, as he ministers for us, as he connects us with God, he gets everything you feel. He gets everything. He gets the good stuff. He, gets the, he understands the bad stuff. He actually went through it all and found a way to do it in an in a unsinning way. And for me, I, I can be emotional about things, but it's really hard sometimes to to not step over, you know, not to go someplace where I shouldn't go. Like, oh, I'm really mad, you know, and I get there, and yet Jesus was able to do that. You know, he, uh, you know, he was able to take people sinning against him to the point of killing him, <clears throat> maintaining the right emotional combination of anger and desiring justice and being loving. You know, because that's what's happening when something doesn't go the way it ought to go. If someone sins against me, well, they're sinning against God. And so God really wants to be connected with them. God's emotion is, oh, I love this child of mine. Can he stop sinning? And Peter's like, kill him. You know, kill him. He's hurting me. And I should be saying, okay, well, he's hurting God. He's hurting me. But I really want to have that heart that God has for things. So I want to talk for a minute about, you know, what is an emotion? So if you think about what are some things that you would consider to be emotions? Help me out. Anger. Anger, okay. Sadness. What's that? Sadness. Sadness, okay. Joy. Joy. You guys are so right on in spirit. You must have taken the intro to psychology. Because right? <laughs> I, I tend to go to the things that are, I'm mad. Anybody ever been mad? Yeah. Yeah. If you have kids, you've been mad a lot, maybe. I don't know. Maybe it was just me. Maybe you uh, you got cut off on the way driving in here. Not likely in Vermont, but uh, you know maybe uh, maybe you know, your car wouldn't start. Well, it hasn't even been that cold, so I don't know. Maybe it's been a good winter in Vermont. But upset, ticked off, withdrawn. You know, um, you know, just leave me alone. And the science would say that those really aren't emotions. Those are things that we tend to consider emotions without really digging down into what emotions really are. And so there's a, a, a dude named. Pluchek, actually, there was the emotion. But there's what Pluchek said are the eight primary emotions. So when you dig into them a bit, you think about, and so what he does here in this beautiful pinwheel is he, in the, in the main pinwheel pillars, if you can read them, he lays out different emotions and they have a continuum in them. So if we look at it, you know, anger, I think, is brought up. At the very core is rage, and then out of line is it's, it's, uh, anger, and then it becomes annoyance. So that's sort of how emotions go. And someone said that if you can name your emotion, then you're much more quickly going to be able to deal with it properly. I'd say spiritually, whatever that is. If you can figure out what it is that's, that's you're feeling, then you're going to be able to deal with it more effectively. I thought it was interesting. You know, the ones I think about from Jesus, I think of love, right? Jesus is love. What does Kuchak say? Well, he said that's joy and trust plugged together, or ecstasy and admiration. But if you jump over in other directions, they sort of you can have trust combined with fear and it becomes submission. So it's interesting to think about how parts of things we want to be then somehow jump into other things just by how we are experiencing them. I don't know if that makes any sense. 
But you bring it in for a second and think, okay, I do feel these things. I, I don't see mad up there. You know, I guess mad's not an emotion. So when, I, when I'm feeling mad, I have to go and actually think about what is it that's bothering me. What's, what's at me? What's going after me? Is it that I'm angry? Is it that I'm you know, annoyed? Or maybe it's I'm bored? You know, contempt there really is, is, is tied between anger and disgust. I try to go out to one level out because I don't know if I'm myself. But when you see grief there, for example, grief and sadness is an emotion, but it can either be tied with amazement and but anyway, you get the idea. So really the ability to sort of think more about <clears throat> think about our emotional self. Jesus really connects with all those emotions. <clears throat> Everything you see up there, Jesus understands. <clears throat> Jesus gets it. Um, and even if we aren't at the point yet of being able to name them, Jesus even gets us there. <clears throat> he gets us when we're feeling mad, frustrated, <clears throat> whatever it is. But he really has the ability, I think, to help guide us <clears throat> through our emotions, through our emotional life. So what I want to do is just take a minute and look at some of the things that um, <clears throat> that Jesus gave us as examples. And I, I took scriptures that came out of this chapter of the book, so I just want to dig into them a bit more. So sort of get the gist of it, though, in Acts 10. Jesus says, you know, that God anointed him <clears throat> with the Holy Spirit with power. He went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, because God was with him. So Jesus was known for going around and doing good. He heard the pleas of people. You know, he cared about them. He was concerned about them. You know, I just look at myself sometimes. Oh, my goodness. You know, do I go around and do I, am I concerned about the people that are just around me? You know, when I walk into... Uh, the parking lot or going to the store and there's a long line. I'm like, there's a long line. Can I get out of here quicker? I'm not thinking, well, these are people that are, that are, are concerned. They're having a good day, a rough day, a, you know, a bad day. How can I do good for them? How can I connect with them emotionally? How can I really be there? And how is how would Jesus be like that? So let's look at a couple of examples. The first one I like is just blind men. So he talks about blind men in Matthew, um, in Matthew, uh, what would say, 20, verse 29. And it just strikes me as, what would it be like to be blind? What would that be like? What would that be like to be blind in Jesus' day? That would be a rough, be a rough thing, right? And so here he's talking in Matthew 20, 20, it says, As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed them. Two blind men were sitting by the road. When they heard that Jesus was passing by, they shouted, Have mercy on us, Lord, son of David. The crowd scolded them to get them to be quiet. But they shouted even more loudly, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Jesus stopped, called them, and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be open, moved with compassion. Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight and followed him. Now, he's on his way out of town, leaving town. And it wasn't even the disciples. Like, you know, the disciples sometimes just keep the little kids away. This was just everybody. Don't like, be quiet. Stop talking over there, you blind people. Leave, leave us all alone. Leave Jesus alone. Um, what was it that moved Jesus with compassion? Why was he compassionate for it? What did he see? 
for the seating for well, they're pleading for help. Yeah. When someone pleads for help, usually it kind of tugs at your heartstrings. Yeah. Have mercy on us. You know, I don't know exactly how they perceived him or how much they'd heard of him, but they knew that he could help them. They knew that they, Jesus go around helping people, right? They knew that he could help them. And so he said, well, what do you want me to do for you? Well, if you're blind... It seems like, yeah, open my eyes. You know, that's that's a big stretch, <clears throat> except for Jesus. And so moving with compassion, like, okay, yeah, I can do that. I can heal you that way. <clears throat> you know, love is, according to Luchak, is acceptance plus serenity. <clears throat> so he's willing to, when you love somebody, you're willing to accept them and to be serene or calm with them. You take them where they are. So when Jesus loved the leper, excuse me, the blind man, get ahead of myself. When Jesus loved the blind men, he was able to accept them and in his ability to help them. Jesus has the same emotional heart for you. That he wants to accept you, but then help you move forward. Another example of that leper in uh, Mark Mark chapter um, 1. Let's look there. Now a leper came to him and fell to his knees, asking for help. If you're willing, you can make me clean, he said. Moved with indignation, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be clean. The leprosy left him at once, and he was clean. Immediately Jesus sent the man away with a very strong warning. He told them, see that you do not say anything to anyone, but go and show yourself to be a, to a priest and bring the offering that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. But as the man went out, he, he began to announce it publicly and spread the story widely so that Jesus was no longer able to enter any town openly but stayed outside in remote places. Still they kept coming to him from everywhere. So what did Jesus feel when he encountered the leper? The leper. What's it like to be a leper in that in that community? Seeing an outcast. You're outcast. You're isolated. You stay away from me. And I think I've heard that they had to go around and say that they, they a leper they had to basically call out that they were a leper everywhere they went. Um, <coughs> they got disgust uh, from their family, from their friends. Made them alone, and of course, there's pain and suffering. This is not this is a disease that that hurts. And so, how did Jesus respond emotionally? What's that? He touched him. Yeah. What's well, it's interesting? You know, it's a similar line before. It struck me is that he he helped him. He said, "I'm going to help you, right? I'm going to do something for you." Because that's what the guy was. He's asking for help. And yet Jesus was able to respond emotionally and say, you know, and then he tells him, what does he tell him to do? Don't tell anybody. And what does the guy do? He tells everybody. It sort of messes up Jesus' ministry. It's like, I can no longer go where I wanted to go because now everybody knows that what do they want? They all want the same thing. They want help from me. Interesting, right? That Jesus is not, oh, the guy ticked me off so bad. 
you know, because I told him not to say anything. What if he would have told everybody? No, he just, he was there in spite of the leper's response. He still loved him. He still, and I assume that Jesus would have known what was going to happen, and yet he still was there to be compassionate, compassionate for him. See, the leper is not really no different than me. When Jesus helps me, he's compassionate. Uh, I don't always respond and do what Jesus says. I don't know, maybe I'm alone. Sometimes I, you know, just, I don't know. And yet Jesus continues to come back, continues to love me, continues to care. That's why when, when, you're, when you love somebody, you're emotionally connected with them, and you're there for the highs and the lows, the ups and the downs. You're there for the ride. Jesus is there for the ride with us, really wanting to be connected, wanting to continue to love us. Let's give another example that falls out in the book. And this is the, the widow uh, in Maine, who not only is she a widow, but she lost her only son. And so that's in Luke 7. Let's just, let's just read that. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. As he approached the town gate, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, who was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, uh, and those who carried it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. So the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they began to glorify God, God saying, A great prophet has appeared among us, and God has come to help his people. This report about Jesus circulated throughout Judea and the surrounding country. So what did he do? Again, he had compassion. He was consoled. He said, don't weep. He made an exception to his day, to his plan. And of course, he raised him from the dead. That's pretty awesome. You know, that's, that, that happens a few times in the Gospels. You know, what, you know, something that no one expected. He's back. He's back, you know. Um, but isn't that the way it is? When you think about, you know, Jeanette and I were talking about what are some emotional things, both good and negative. And you think about all these examples had a negative, leprosy, being blind, you know, the death of a child. And yet Jesus turned them around to be positives, where there was, you know, Restored child, restored sight, um, restored health, right? All those, Jesus changed and made them different. And you think about the things that are emotionally exciting for you. Think about some of them. We were talking about them. You know, it, it, when someone is baptized and becomes a Christian, that's emotionally exciting. I mean, for them, of course, but I think for anyone that is connected with that. And sometimes it's the same way with a, a marriage, with the birth of a child. And uh, although Jeanette said that, that men don't really understand what it is to the excitement or joy of having a child, um, so I don't know, it's a big word for it. It's still exciting and joyful uh, to me. And you think about that, that's what Jesus was doing. He was going around and he was helping people, he was restoring them to him, he was bringing them, you know, an answer to the sin that was entrapping them. We know that Jesus was really upset about sin because he he took the opportunity in Matthew 18 just to do a little object lesson. He came across a millstone like this, which was you know appropriate for where he was. 
And he says, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a huge millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the open sea. Wow, that's a pretty strong statement. Probably got to be careful making that and get somebody at work, right? Like, you should stop that. You should go get drowned in, in Lake Champlain with a big rock around your neck. <clears throat> but see, Jesus could combine his, his anger, his disgust, his moral <clears throat> concern about the impact of sin with how he responded to it. But this is really how he feels about sin. <clears throat> this is how he feels about, you know, the perfect God really felt very strongly about the things that impact you. God still feels that way. Jesus feels that way. The things that impact you, that hurt you spiritually, that damage your emotions, Jesus cares about those things. This is how he felt. This is how he felt when his children were impacted by sin. And he was able to put together both his anger and his compassion together in a perfect way. Now, Jesus still is concerned about spiritual death and spiritual and health, being separated from God. He really does care about that. That's what he is worried about. And when he was most concerned, what he got most upset about in the first century was just people that sort of said it wasn't that way. You know, he said, Woe to you, experts in the law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites. You cross land and sea to make one convert, and when you get one, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. You know, elsewhere it said they tie up heavy loads, they make them hard to carry, they put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing even to lift a finger to move them. That's what he's concerned about, is when people weren't willing to help. They were there to condemn. Jesus is not emotionally here to condemn He's here to help. He's here to help you resolve what you're feeling emotionally. He's, he's going to use you to help others emotionally. But it's really the desire. He really wants to take care of us. He wants to look after us. You know, I like this passage that foreshadows Jesus. It says, but he lifted up our illnesses. He carried our pain. Even though we thought he was being punished, attacked by God and afflicted for something he had done. See, Jesus, as we've talked about previously through studying out this book, Jesus came to help. Jesus came to take away our sins. Jesus came to connect with you emotionally. Jesus came because he understands where you're at. You know, if you think back to uh, Matthew 11, where it says, remember, it's the key, the key passage here, he is gentle and lowly and his burdens light. He really does want to connect with us. I want to just close out here reading a passage from page 112 in the book, and we'll read it as we finish. It says, Are you angry today? Let us not be too quick to assume our anger is sinful. After all, the Bible positively orders us to be angry when occasion calls for it. Psalm uh, 4, verse 4, Ephesians 4, verse 26. Perhaps you have reason to be angry. Perhaps you've been sinned against, and the only appropriate response is anger. Be comforted by this. Jesus is angry alongside you. He joins you in your anger. Indeed, he is angrier than you could ever be about the wrong done to you. Your just anger is a shadow of his, and his anger, unlike yours, has zero taint of sin in it. 
As you consider those who have wronged you, let Jesus be angry on your behalf. His anger can be trusted, for it is an anger that springs from his compassion for you. The indignation he felt when he came upon, uh, came upon mistreatment of others in the gospel is the same indignation he feels now in heaven upon mistreatments of others. In that knowledge, release your debtor and breathe again. Let's think about that for a second. Knowing that's how Jesus is, release your debtor and breathe again. Let Christ's heart for you not only wash you in his compassion, but also assure you of his solidarity and rage against all that distresses you, most centrally death 